All the marks that existed in the world in the summer of 1922 were not enough by November of 1923 to buy a single newspaper or a tram ticket. That was the spectacular part of the collapse, but most of the real loss in money wealth had been suffered much earlier. Throughout these years, the structure was quietly building itself up for the blow. Germany's inflation cycle ran not for a year, but for nine years, representing eight years of gestation and only one year of collapse. Written in 1974, read 1914 to 1923, 2010 to 2021, gestation. When dollars might as well be falling from the sky, management teams get creative and ultimately take more risk, paying out debt finance dividends to investors or investing in risky growth opportunities has beaten a frugal mentality hands down. Welcome to FUD General, aka Modern Guilt. Modern Guilt. There we go. So that was uh, Michael Burry quoting on Twitter. What is that quoted from? It, 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 I, I have no reason to think this, but I just get the vibe that it's from the rise and fall of the Third Reich. No, it's uh, this thing, Jen Parsons on the dying of money, which covers hyperinflation mm. in Germany. Um, right, cool. It's making waves around. There's a lot of people freaked out that Burry is correct. Um, I'm always a little bit like, so Michael Burry is the guy uh, who very famously shorted the housing market before um, it was cool, is probably the best way to say it. He has a movie about him you can watch, has mixed reviews. The big short. I, I liked it, but you might not. <laughs> you have you seen it? Have you? A, a history of film. <laughs> yes, I have seen it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I really... Um... I can't, this is so bad, I can't remember the name of the fucking actor now. Will Ferrell, right? No. Was he in it? No. He was no, no, it. no. I always get fucking him confused with the other guy. Brian Gosling? Steve Carell. Steve Carell. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what... That's so fucking stupid of me. Because I love The Office, like, where Steve Carell plays the fucking lead. Like, I should... Yeah. But for some reason, I always get it confused with Will Farrell. Anyway, I hate Will Farrell though, and that's the more upsetting thing about this confusion is that sometimes I'm like, "Oh, how good is Will Farrell in that movie?" And then people are like, "Wait, was he in that?" First of all, and then secondly, they're like, "Oh, you like Will Farrell?" Yeah. I'm like, no, I don't. I'm sorry. I take it all back. <laughs> I've just wasted everybody's time as well as our listeners. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, I enjoyed the movie. <laughs> the movie Big Short featuring. Steve Carell. Yes, as Michael Burrell. <laughs> Burrell, I just said fucking as Michael Burrell. We're both a little Kill retarded me. right now because we yeah. were up late watching um, our portfolios dissipate. Into Disintegrate before our very void. eyes. I don't even care though. I don't even like money, I've decided. So I'm just going <laughs> to return to the land <laughs> and become a farmer. I saw a really fucking amazing meme of some guy feeding his old Nokia mobile phone into a belt sander and just like watching it slowly <laughs> disintegrate like this beast of a sander, this belt sander is just like ripping through like a whole phone just like yeah. and yeah he's like me watching my Nokia stocks I was like yeah <laughs> that's what it feels um, that's how um, it feels watching all stocks at the moment oh totally so Michael Burry's on the mad FUD uh, but he also is kind of like <clears throat> buying up bunches of stocks, um, particularly banking institution and like standard boomer shit, which makes mm. me 
suspicious of anyone that's betting that the United States is going to collapse into hyperinflation um, while buying up real estate. I feel like with him, he loves to just be super dramatic. Like he just sits there listening I to think so too, yeah. death metal and, you know, dreams down. Up, yeah, dreams up uh, scenes of collapse and chaos and then prices in like a market correction and not a market catastrophe. Yeah. I saw a really great comment regarding Michael Burry. I mean, yeah, (laughs) Michael Burry. Um, It was like, to be fair to Michael, he has predicted 350 out of the last four market crashes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Which is so true. He's like Nostradamus. Um, But anyway. I love the contrarian take. Um, I don't know if it made it to air, but we actually did a podcast on... Uh, one bit of FUD that he was doing for a while. Because I, I follow him religiously. I love reading FUD because it just gets me, like, gets me hot and bothered, um, you know, just <laughs> reading all this shit about market collapses. And he was talking about uh, how Google and Facebook are, like, bubbles. Because, you know, all he talks about immediately is, like, how everything's a bubble. Um, but he make, he makes really convincing points, and that's the whole reason I think that it's worth following him, is he provides a great contrarian aspect to everything that's going mm. on. And it's yeah, all reasoning, definitely. and I've heard this mm-hmm. from a number of people, is that you actually don't really get anything for um, your ad spend on Google and Facebook, and you do a lot better by just optimizing for SEO or targeting small groups of people within communities mm. within Facebook, like just infiltrating a group and then like building up your own thing there. So yeah, there's yeah. actually no value to ad spend and their entire business models are kind of like bullshit on that basis. Yeah. I, I think that's one take on it. Like I've personally had some success with running ads on Facebook and Google mm. um, when I was like promoting music um that did pretty well um but i think yeah i i think they position ads as being the only way to promote your business whereas you know um like you say those organic paths are pretty effective as well Mm. um but then again you if you're not paying for ads you still got to pay someone to produce the content and and run your social media channels so like i don't know i think they ultimately probably just are equivalent yeah and he bought up Google and Facebook, I think within like a year's time frame of releasing that FUD. So, you know, whatever. I'm sure they <laughs> yeah, right. I just think it's interesting regardless. Like, you know, and I'm mm, more it is, yeah. willing to bet that it works for some people and is much less effective than it actually is suggested, like mm-hmm. 90% of all other products, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, think, I think the um, key to running online ads is that you need to think about your ad spend in the same way that you would think about purchasing like a tool or a productive asset in that like, say if I'm going to buy um, a toolkit for $500 and go home and I've got like, you know, my hammer, my spanner, my socket set, all these things like, sure, they're there for you and you can, you can use them and you're probably going to produce something out of it. But like, you need to understand how to use those tools. So like, by throwing an ad budget at Facebook and Google, you're not immediately going to actually see some sort of like worthwhile result. You need to actually understand what you're purchasing and how do you best use it. You know, 
mm. which I think is probably where a lot of people fall by the wayside. They're just like, oh yeah, Google ads, right? Um, grow my business, spend a thousand dollars, get no results. Yeah. Um, which I guess is why the world is full of shysters and charlatans telling you that they'll 10x your business if they manage your Google ads campaign and then flee to Thailand. Oh, um, it's a tale as old as time. Why do we even pretend yeah. that this is anything new though? You know, like, and, and, um, charlatans and grifters are um a sign that there's money to be made somewhere i think they're a signal you don't listen to them but they're definitely a signal you know mm. like yeah that's if, a very good point um it's yeah. they're indicative of like market demand mm. yeah mm. yeah they're there to tell you that there probably is a way to make money and it's like maybe not as amazing as they're making it out to be but you know you just have to be wise to what's going on mm. Okay, so <laughs> I was, uh, I'm, I'm going to go on like a, an Australian frustration tangent today. Is there um, problems in God's country? Oh, you could say so, I suppose. Yeah, so if you were to be a conservative, um, yeah. if you were to be, uh, be a bit looser, you could say that the country is a fucking traveling circus, fucking <laughs> shit show. So, in a good way? No, <laughs> worst way. I hate circuses, dude. I, I don't, I have a deep distrust of anybody who does circus performing or has worked in a circus or trains or wants to be in a circus. I think it's a disgusting thing to do with your time. I, I, I'm not even kidding. Like I, I don't want anything to do with those people. I wouldn't have them in my house or around my family. Um, Before you begin your rant then yeah um, have you ever been to like any carny festivals or whatever well um, i i think i have but my my most uh significant interaction with a carny festival was when in christchurch myself and some friends released the elephant in hagley park that really? you probably remember in the news yeah no um, what no dude I've, I've never heard yeah. this before yeah so like we were I, I was like 17 or 18 at the time and we were at this like shitty gig, you know, just like a local dumb show with like a couple of indie bands playing. And this, so this show was like in the, in the city and nearby um, to the venue was for the listeners, a place called Hagley Park, which is like the sort of Christchurch equivalent to like Central Park in New York. It's like the, the very large inner city green space where, you know, people play sports and events are held and whatever, you go there to hang mm. out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this traveling circus was doing a tour of New Zealand uh, with an elephant and uh, a whole bunch of other animals like goats and llamas and shit. And um, even though that doesn't really count as a circus animal, but they were there, so, you know, go figure. Yeah. And then at the end of the show, after all of us like loser teens were real lick it up and fucking stoned like these like animal rights activists like came onto the stage and one of them jumped on a mic and he was like yeah well who's ready to go free an elephant and then like the crowd was just looking for something else to do like after <laughs> the show so yeah. we were like yeah and then out of like the initial group of people who said they were going to do it like two-thirds of them immediately sort of just like evaporated as normally happens in these sorts of things and then there was a group of maybe like <laughs> eight of us like there was me and some of my friends and these like two super weird animal activist people um and yeah we uh we sort of 
approached the vicinity of the circus where their big tent was set up and surrounding their tent they were all sleeping in their trailers um really and yeah um huh. and um so we started sort of like you know peeking around um one of the people who were with let the air out of their tires was pretty <laughs> funny <laughs> um, and we um we went into the tent we like crawled under the like the wall of the big circus tent inside and we're just sort of like cruising around like we found these um like uh what do you call them like carnival like toys or like merchandises including like glowing swords that would make like a sound when you pressed a button yeah um, yeah yeah and anyway um then we happened upon the elephant which was in this like horrendously small enclosure like just in a trailer that was uh the sort of trailer that attaches to a truck so it wasn't even wide enough for the elephant to be able to turn around in it was just basically standing in this thing like a fucking the equivalent of like what a battery hen sits in yeah <clears throat> and one of my mates realized smartly actually props to him that like the the door to the enclosure was controlled by a hydraulic lock which was um you could like turn off from the outside of the trailer so yeah he like unplugged the hydraulic lock and we just swung open the the gate to this ele elephant enclosure and it just like cruised out um we yeah and um then we like opened the gates for the goats and the llamas and shit so like all these animals were just cruising around the park and then the carnies woke up um and realized we were there and all the lights in their trailers turned on and we were like fuck and they jumped in their utes and we're just driving around the park chasing us while we were trying to escape and um and then in the paper maybe like a day or two later or whatever there was like a headline and it was like animal activists release elephant or whatever and it's like well we weren't really activists we were just drunk and yeah thought it would oh, be cool but that's um, classic but but interestingly enough my like irresponsible act or our irresponsible act had a uh, a positive impact because the press generated by the elephant being released from this touring circus actually led to the new zealand government banning touring circuses with elephants oh good yeah. So now you can't have elephants in captivity for like your stupid shitty carny festival in New Zealand. Yeah, good. That's and obviously, epic. yeah, and because elephants are such beautiful, intelligent, just exquisite creatures, like that's just such a good outcome. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I got a good story out of it and hopefully a couple of elephants' lives were improved. All right, know. well, there we have it. Dare to be great. How did we... We're, so we're, yeah, we're talking about traveling circuses. We're talking about, yeah, Carnies, because you're saying that Australia is a traveling circus. And I asked yes, if you'd ever yeah. been to the Carney, uh, or some Carney thing. I kind of agree with you. I don't really like those things. I, I think they breed the worst kind of grifter, you know, the yes, ideological absolutely. grifter, who's just... Yeah. And when you're at a traveling circus, um, it shouldn't be lost on anyone, the, like, blatant fucking, you know, uh, I guess, like, analogy of having a carney who's also an ideological dickhead um being part of a traveling circus that's yes. just like it sums itself up you know yeah, yeah. um i'm sure what? there's nice carnies out there i've never met them though so whatever uh none of them are normal people though that's what they're all creeps in my opinion uh, but who um, yeah fuck normal people this is more like they're all, yeah that's the problem the creeps eh? they're like the yeah yeah the cannabis activists um, exactly yeah. yeah um so 
Yeah, the reason I I compared Australia to a traveling circus um, <laughs> is that you know we have a uh, a ringmaster or ringleader rather in the form of Scott Morrison who just continues to do a worse and worst job, worse and worst job. Um, he recently uh, rocked up to the doctor's office in front of the media to get his COVID vaccine, wearing a Cronulla Sharks shirt and a, a mask with the Aussie flag on it, um, <laughs> and rolled up his sleeves to reveal his chubby, fat little arms. And the, the media celebrated as he um, received his vaccination. And... But something that this guy called um, Chris Jericho, who uh, I think is the economic editor for The Guardian, who is actually a pretty good Twitter follow, mentioned last night, is that like, he was like, was there some sort of information campaign that I missed about vaccines and like how to fucking get one? Because it seems like no information is publicly available at all. Um, so Australia's vaccine campaign started this week for frontline workers and uh, vulnerable people, I think. There are headlines and news articles and whatnot saying like, all Australians who want a vaccine should expect to have one by the end of October. This is how it's going to work, etc., etc. But nobody knows how to fucking get one. Like, it, it's super <laughs> weird, man. It's like, yeah. and I think something similar it sounds like happened in the states where there like hasn't actually been like a public information campaign in the same way that there was like at the beginning of the pandemic where it's like hey guys everyone needs to just stay indoors or social distance or whatever else uh it's kind of just like oh yeah here are 20 million vaccines just um yeah get get them <laughs> go down to the needle exchange yeah it's, su it's super odd yeah um it's a similar thing here to be honest there's been like it's funny because uh our um thought leaders <laughs> oh yeah have been looking the great new zealand thought leader yeah um we have a couple of those uh, and Mike been, Hosking. Yeah, well, he's been championing. That's that's who I was uh, talking about. He was championing Australia off. and being like he he's like um, I, don't, I don't know who you compare him to to be honest, but he's just basically um, he was championing Australia's handling of the coronavirus and everything like that. But to be honest, man, it just sounds like everybody's doing a pretty shitty job all around. Well, you know? apart from Israel, dude, they're what fucking they flying. Oh yeah. Oh, they. Uh, over 50% of their population has had their first shots. Over 30% have had their second shots. Um, and reductions amongst people who have had those shots in terms of um, transmissions, hospital, um, sorry, hospitalizations and everything is up to like eight, 98%. It's been like insanely effective. Um, but anyway, so not only though has the Australian government, in my opinion, completely fumbled in communicating to the population how, where, when we can have a vaccine. But there's also been this horrible story emerging in the media uh, over the last maybe three to four sort of business days mm. of a woman whose name I believe is Brittany Fisher. Um, let me just double check that. A woman named Brittany Higgins who um, claims that she was raped inside Parliament House um, by... Yeah, by a staffer uh, working for, you guessed it, the coalition government. So in, in 2019, she was working as a, um, a media staffer 
for the coalition. So doing like, you know, PR and comms or whatever. And was working in the office of the employment minister at the time, Michaelia Cash, when on a Friday evening after work drinking session, she uh, went back to the office with a male staffer um, and yeah, allegedly was raped in, in the minister's office, which is obviously shocking and, and horrific. Oh, that's horrendous. Yeah, well, that's fucked up. At the time, Brittany Higgins says that she, she filed a police report and recorded the incident, but decided not to pursue charges or a further investigation in order to save her job and the reputation of the coalition government, hmm. um, which, you know, while maybe noble at the time in terms of her <clears throat> intentions, I think, you know, was clearly the wrong decision because I think nobody should ever be excused of, of an act like that. Hmm. And <clears throat> since she has... Uh, come out to the media and said this now, like three more women have, have also emerged and in support of Brittany Higgins have spoken about their own experiences with sexual assault or sexual harassment by coalition government staffers. And even before this story, there had been more rumblings of like a predatory culture amongst sort of like males in the coalition government. And Scott Morrison, has done essentially nothing in response to this. Um, he said that there will be uh, a review <laughs> of mm. um, of their like sort of workplace safety and sexual har- harassment policies. <laughs> yeah, well, may- maybe if they beef up those policies, then uh... yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, fucking hell, it's horrendous. He- heads haven't even rolled, dude. Like, yeah. if. I mean, look, I'm sure as a part of this review and a part of their internal workings, the the man who is being accused of having done this will be scrutinized to the nth degree. But uh, regardless of how uh, incompetent you view the government as being, I'm sure they will. But you need to make a public example of this person and suspend them and, and tell the country and tell the population, hey, you know, like, this is so fucking serious. Like, this guy is not going to be allowed even like near here, blah, 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 suspend mm-hmm. him without pay. And then if later on he is proven to be a person of, um, of some sort of quality, then rectify that later on. Um, oh, what? but do, do you mean if he didn't rape someone? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. there's, there's no coming back from that, man. Like, no, no, there's not. No, yeah. not at all. Um, I would, I would never suggest that, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the, these four women have, um, have all had, uh, experiences of a varying degree of severity with this one individual um and uh scott morrison uh said in a press conference i'll um i won't find the quote but but, uh he essentially said that he had a chat with his wife and his wife jenny said to him oh well the way to uh, approach this situation is that you need to imagine that the person who got raped was your daughter and then he was like oh yeah no you're right about that we'll uh we'll do something (laughs) <laughs> um, so yeah as opposed to any old schmuck you know where yeah it doesn't matter i guess so like it, it didn't register to him that this was something that needed to be seriously addressed until his wife uh had to make him pretend that his own self-interests were, were at stake hmm. um so that's pretty fucking horrific um and it's, just... it's so disappointing that we have to just sit through the the parade of ineptitude from this fucking government and from oh 
you know, I I try pretty hard not to like think too much about Australian politics now because it's just so frustrating and and nothing seems to change. But every month it seems like something else happens and you just get shit smeared in your face, <clears throat> regardless of whether or not you're interested. Um, and it, it quite frankly, it's just offensive. I yeah. I, I fucking hate it. I hate yeah. it. Yeah, it's really sad. Eh? Like th- that's a fucking horrendous story and it just goes to show like how um far removed these people are from like day-to-day existence and actual Mm -hmm. trauma you know it's the same thing here man there's a um and i'm not too up it. i'll probably bungle this entire thing but uh there was a labor minister i think that was accused labor for anybody listening who's not aware is like um our current administration uh beloved chairman ardern um who just kind of fucking like totally let this entire um, sexual assault allegation fall by the wayside and was accused of covering it up and then was like, oh, I didn't know um, that, you know, so-and-so was uh, had sexual assault allegations against them and just uh, fucked it up. I hate these people so much. Like, I, I think no matter who you are, getting into government, it's just like the home for the for the inept, you know? And the best thing you can do is just limit them to try to keep the fucking lights on. And the more power they have, the, the worse it seems to get. You know? Yeah, um, you're right. The more that I, the more that I scrutinize government, the more that I feel they're just like sort of. I think you made an, a point in a previous episode about people, the sort of people who want to be class president. Who are like ultimately just sort of socially fucked and they're like a little bit like autistic um, Mm. and just like decide to LARP as a politician until they become one. Yeah. At my (laughs) job, uh, we have uh, one individual who comes in for his uh, coffee regularly. Shit, I just, I I wasn't going to use a uh, pronoun to disclose the identity of this person, but there you go, I just did. Anyway, um, so this person is pretty, like, closely involved in the Queensland Labour Party, and Mm. the way that he, like, interacts with the staff and just, like, navigates the world makes me horrified to think that he has any sort of political influence, because, like, he is just a straight-up creep, eh? Um, Like, the most sociopathic sort of like autistic hopeless case that you can you could identify and like uh, it's i'm not even gonna try and explain this person because like the experience of being in the same room as him is just like more uncomfortable than words can describe um and having sort of like i guess brushed shoulders with with politics on a local level in the past like i can attest to the fact that these people are like the reason that they get into politics is because other people like them are in politics. Mm. Um, and very few of them, I think, are like particularly competent or um, empathetic or well-equipped to like navigate the world in terms of like a social uh, paradigm, well, if that makes sense. That's it. How can you know, man? Like, how can you know? It, it, it like kills me and I just try and not think about it because it's like it otherwise makes me furiated to think that people in those positions of power know how other people should live or think that they know how other people should live. Mm. But you look at like most of them and they're sort of, you know, so they're such fucking normies. <laughs> like they've just like done everything that 
institutions told them to do and ended up in positions of power. So how do they know how the fucking world works if they've never been amongst charlatans and grifters and never understood, like, the impacts that policies have on, you know, like, like here they have this big thing where they're um, sort of trying to uh, address poverty by increasing benefits or whatever, but also um, attack climate change by, like, you know, increasing the price of petrol, which just doubly fucked the poor. Because on the one hand, yeah, yeah. getting on the benefits really hard. Um, it's a total pain mm-hmm. in the ass. It's a very patronizing thing. And it's a lot of people don't actually want to be on it. They just kind of want to like have the buffer. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. The Ministry of Social Development is just treats you like a fucking piece of shit, you know, when you mm-hmm. go in there. And that's from personal experience. Um, the price of fuel, a 10 to 20 cent increase, you know, which is roughly from memory what the tax was, or maybe it's four cents, but it has like a dramatic impact anyway. Totally yeah. fucks you if you're poor. Like, you know, like absolutely big yeah. time. I got so doubly fucked by that shit back in the day, and it infuriated me that they thought that, that was a acceptable way to um approach it. And I think, you know, again, this is something that we talked about is like you just drive into this fucking poverty cycle afterwards. And, and these mm-hmm. fucking morons have no idea. And the problem is, man, like, a lot of the people I studied with um, when I was doing uh, my, like, econ postgrad have now gone on to analyst positions and policy advising positions where they end up, um, you know, eventually will be advising government. And yep. they are not fit. And if any of you are listening, you fucking know how I feel about you. You're all good, but, like, holy fuck, I do not want them advising policy because they don't know. They've never smoked mm. durries. They've never fucking, they've never like struggled to get a job. They're all, yeah. you know, sort of straight A students. Like whenever we would have chats, it would always be, you know, and, and like they would talk about uh, going off the rails as like missing a day of school, not like struggling deeply with addiction or um, not being able to find a job for fucking months and months on end. Or, yeah. you know, um, just, it was so incredible to me how removed these people are from day-to-day society you know they they think that there's just this knob you fucking twist and it's like the less smoking knob you just twist it a little bit yeah, and yeah suddenly exactly. it's like oh everything worked out great and it's like well if we can just twist the less smoking knob then let's twist the less booze knob let's twist the fucking more jobs knob you know and it's just like um in- insane how much control they believe they have relative to mm-hmm uh what they actually can do and what they believe is good for others you know yeah which is the scariest yeah, i think i hate good I, I think something that just gets so often overlooked in terms of like economic or social policy is the fact that you need to address people's grievances like in a in a country like new zealand and australia where like i mean not to mention the united states where you have growing inequality and obvious class divides there are problems that people have um not just with the way that their lives are turning out but the way that sort of society has dealt them a bad hand and hasn't given them uh, a leg up in response to that Mm. and if if you're trying to improve outcomes for people like you know uh improving health outcomes by reducing smoking or whatever like first you need people to be able to buy in to the broader system or project that you see them as being a part of because if Mm. if i don't identify with my environment or i don't feel as though i'm a part of it or that it wants me there i don't give a fuck about your policy (laughs) 
I'm just trying to I'm just trying to find a shred of happiness. You oh. know what I mean? And I'm yeah. gonna like pursue that and find that however I can. And that's why you have like a whole fucking generation of people of a certain class who are like sitting around smoking bongs watching the NBA instead of doing things that the government would view as being, you know, productive. Yeah. Um, and that's why to a large extent, I think countries are failing to respond to like the climate emergency, for example, because like in order for these like policies t- to be effective, you need people who are like empowered to actually execute them. Mm. And the majority of people were just not. Well, Nobody cares. <laughs> they, it, it's like, yeah, so um, the, the, the bigger point that I'll just quickly say, it is terrifying and addressing with the, you know, the rape story that you just passed there. It's terrifying what people will do for what they believe is the greater good, you know, like Mm -hmm. to to the point that even letting known rapists, you know, like participate because you're worried that a backlash will occur against a fundamentally corrupt administration is terrifying Mm. in the sense that you let um, like evils go and you end up just, you know, they're like, it's just these fucking monsters just get to exist because they're on the path for the greater good or whatever um and and her britney's decision not to uh pursue charges against her alleged rapist in order to preserve the status of the party and keep her job just speaks to how disempowered we are Mm. like you know in a world where people feel like they belong and that they are a part of the the national project or whatever other sort of term you want to place on our like collective path forward like people don't do that mm, it's a tragedy when, that when, she couldn't come forward ex- exactly yeah. it's it's horrible and it it shows that the majority of us are not valued um and yeah it, it's a it's a tough one the what connecting you know policy with like real world or like personal outcomes is maybe an impossible puzzle i don't i'm not sure what the solution is well um personally i just think the less uh, less moralizing and the less dickhead sort of fucking, you know, this is the way it's going to be for the greater good, uh, the better, because it rarely works out. And if history, <laughs> history is a pretty good indicator of that. Um, the and, and there's just, there's so much arrogance when it comes down to it. So like one of the mm. big things that people talk about is like, how do we address the climate emergency? And um, they try and enact policies to address that, that fuck over the disempowered and the poor, but they don't mm. address... The actual issues, which is, it doesn't fucking matter if you drive a car. It, it literally does not matter. It doesn't matter if no, we all doesn't. drive cars. It just does not matter. You know, it matters that we're manufacturing huge amounts of fucking goods with oil and coal. That's what mm-hmm. matters. Like, like yeah. your, you know, it doesn't matter if you take a shower. It matters that agriculture is using tons of water and and trying to make it all about like, oh, you know, we all have to make personal sacrifices. That's just a way for like the fucking um, for them to pass the blame from who they want to be addressing down to the people that they ultimately can just shit on relentlessly. Mm. Uh, Absolutely. Um, I mean, (laughs) it's it's essentially it functions the same way as taxing cigarettes. Like, rather than just regulating these companies who are selling products that cause cancer and making them do the the morally correct thing, pass the the financial burden onto the people consuming the product. Mm. No, you know, it's fucking ridiculous. Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah, and like the other thing, man, is like when I used to smoke, 
and and when I used to do more degenerate behavior um and I was in the poverty trap like like fucking life sucks I would gladly if that was like my perpetual existence for the rest of my life um I'd take I would rather live unhealthy and yeah of course less lifespan because my life quality would be better for a larger number of years you know than if I was fit and healthy and mm perpetually impoverished because it sucks and like you have good times with your mates having a dairy or having a beer is that such a crime at the end of the day who's who am i offending you know like exactly yeah is, is that the worst thing in the world that people want to have a ciggy because they've had a hard day or they want to have um, a beer with their mates or they want to get blackout drunk on the weekend because you know their prospects are kind of shitty oh yeah <laughs> but the strain on the healthcare system yeah, but what they don't get is that, you know, like, Smoking is an inherently selfish act. Yeah, it's so arrogant, eh? you know. Something that I learned yesterday, which I found was quite interesting, actually, is that when cigarette taxes were introduced in Australia, and I imagine this uh, worked in a similar way in other countries where cigarette taxes were introduced, um, on top of those taxes, the tobacco companies actually, inc- like, increased their... Uh, retail margins as well so like if say you had a pack of Marlboro Reds that was like you know $20 for a 20 pack of Marlboro Reds back in the glory days miss you, um, yeah miss you baby <laughs> um, and yeah. $5 worth of tax was added to the price the tobacco companies would then add an extra dollar of retail margin so mm. the tobacco companies actually became more profitable despite declining sales Hmm. So, which is just like a perfect illustration of what we're talking about, like pass yeah. the financial burden onto the consumer while allowing these companies who are killing people to keep making money off it. It's, yeah. like, it's um, fucking nuts. I almost joined Philip Morris, um, uh, which is now called well, Altria, which As is like the lead product tester. Oh, no, I was going to be on the show. <laughs> They're actually, so um, I like had an interview with them and I already had a job at that point, but they basically, it was fucking awesome, man. I was so close to joining and they, this, this guy basically was like, uh, took me out for lunch and that was the interview. And we had lunch at this incredible restaurant um, up in Auckland, you know, and he, he was sort of like, you know, <laughs> you know, tobacco isn't just about giving people cancer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he started telling me about that and he's like you know we've actually been very profitable over the years because we've been able to shift from having middlemen suppliers to going direct to consumers which means that we sell direct to dairies and stuff like that and then we take more of the margin for ourselves and just sort of like every bit of tax we also um put up the price so we're actually making tons of money we're not a dying industry um as well as moving into other fields uh and he wouldn't tell me what that was but it was pretty obvious this was back in 2015 or something so yeah they bought up Juul and they yeah, bought yeah. up, uh, you know, which is this nicotine salt vape to anyone that's not aware. Um, and they've also like entered into the craft brew and the cannabis market. So mm. they're just like an all round good time now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just the fucking yeah. good night out company. Um, I just they can't should wait open till they like his... Adderall eh? and then it's just like complete, you know. They should open like a cigarette themed casino. Oh, the building yeah. is just the shape of a giant dairy. You walk yeah. in and all the slot machines are like have pictures of ciggies on them. Ciggies um, and craft brew and fucking yeah. cannabis and, and uh, inevitable fucking, you know, Adderall to just pump it 24-7. All based mm. in their little um, charter city 
off the coast yeah. of Thailand somewhere. <laughs> another um, um, another little um, little factor that I thought was interesting as well was yeah. when, and I mean, you probably might have learned this in this meeting that you were just talking about, but I learned yesterday that um, when tobacco advertising was banned, um, all of these tobacco companies learned that the consumer didn't need to be advertised to at all. <laughs> so their profit margins increased because like, no matter, you know, like, very few people saw an ad for a cigarette and decided to go and buy some smokes. They just would buy smokes. Mm. Um, so, like, you had multiple tobacco companies competing over their advertising spend for a share of the same finite market rather than focusing on growing the total market. Um, and they, like, because they were all competing for the same advertising space and stuff, they were essentially in, like, an infinite bidding war, just pushing their their marketing budgets up and then they were able to just completely wipe that off their books. And they're like, oh, this works. That's <laughs> um, fucking hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway, Fascinating. I'm sure they'll be around long afterwards. I never joined them, but uh, I definitely was tempted for a little bit. And yeah. I decided, uh, yeah. I thought it might be a stain on the resume. Not that I fucking care, because none of that matters to me now. But like, <laughs> <laughs> back then, it just seemed more sensible. Um, yeah, no, I, I get that for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway speaking of people that are trying to do well but don't do very well i came across this article um about it was actually so i found this to be like blatantly honest how i found this um there was someone posting uh these like like that have you seen that like iceberg meme or whatever and it's like got yeah 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 um there someone posted something about uh like that but in reference to investing and like going down and how you like slowly get into like murkier dodgier fucking investments and strategies <laughs> um and because i was like had nothing going on at that particular point in time and i mean like nothing mm -hmm. i was like oh i'll just google and see you know see if i can find some of this stuff um one of them was shadow recessions i was like okay find out about that uh see if there's anything to it and it turns out mm. it's actually a thing i was fucking shocked i didn't even realize that it's actually i bet but it makes total fucking sense that shadow recessions happen so effectively you think of them as like like i understand it more as like a structural recession within one area while everything yeah. else is sort of like doing well um so back in 2016 um there was this invisible recession that ultimately uh decimated a bunch of areas but no one really noticed because things were going relatively well across the board it was just mm -hmm. within like commodities oil uh and manufacturing that got totally fucking smashed by these like well-wishing policies that were enacted um by the federal reserve you know so effectively what happened yeah, emerging markets dropped. There was a drop in the price of oil and other commodities, and um, the value of the dollar, the USD, started going up. And it was largely confined to energy and agriculture and manufacturing, like I said. So we can imagine who those people were and why they were so pissed off around 2015 mm -hmm. and 2016. <laughs> um, and how weirdly, it hasn't fully recovered yet. There was some sort of like, you know, under trump obviously he tried to like push a lot of that shit back but it's mm. kind of still decimated in a way well, that makes me wonder first of all if this is a recession or a long-term trend that's the big question eh um and mm. with things as noisy as they are it's 
like also kind of hard to figure that out um if it's a long-term trend what's what's happening here uh you know because uh, agriculture has been kind of like propped up by the government for like a long time you know they've had a lot of farmers have had a lot of subsidies and um and whatnot so it's hard to know really what's going on but anyway regardless uh i'm gonna try and summarize this while i pick it out (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Um, back in 2015, Chinese leaders were concerned about a bubble of credit that was happening. And so they basically decided to restrain growth because they were worried that things were getting really noisy in the stock market. But that in turn kind of fucked them over because what they did is they raised interest rates. And when you raise interest rates, anybody that's holding debt suddenly gets like fucked, you know, because they mm-hmm. suddenly have to pay out more. And that kind of like totally started to slow down China. So the Federal Reserve was feeling really good about where the United States was. So they started to end their like super easy monetary policy, which is effectively mm-hmm. what's happening now, right? Where it's just like, yeah. take out a loan and stick it in anything and it'll be more productive when you have to pay it back. It's like free money, free money land. So the Fed decided to tighten monetary policy up and... Everyone else was sort of going in the opposite direction. It was only like the U.S. that was doing well back in 2015, 2016 is effectively what this article in this shadow recession um, talks about. So Japan was really worried, uh, as were like the European banks, because they're probably just coming off the back of like, you know, the sovereign debt crisis. And the U.S. Yeah, yeah. was like, oh, we're fucking killing it. Let's, uh, let's you know, give savers some, some more interest and shit like that. So China... Um, so when they do that, effectively, like the US dollar goes up, which causes China to be less competitive. And China has a lot of debt held in US dollars. So all of a sudden, the debt that companies were holding was like a lot more expensive than it was before. Mm. So you can kind of see how that shift fucks over the Chinese and emerging markets despite the fact that it's really good for, you know, the U.S. So everybody in the U.S. was like, holy shit, we got money. Like, you know, we can fucking buy stuff. This is sick. Um, However, at the same time, because emerging markets were getting fucked up, because, you know, basically the dollar's rising, interest rates are rising in the States, they're going down, oil started crashing, right? So oil started plummeting because Chinese and the Japanese Europe use a lot of oil. And they suddenly couldn't use as much because it was all very expensive and they had to like start, they had to start dropping consumption. So I don't know if people remember, but 2015, and obviously it doesn't, you know, compared to now, it's probably not a big deal, but the price of oil back in those days, like just fucking fell through the floor. It just went like totally down and bottom. And I remember at the time, because I was actually investing in oil and like, I remember someone talking about like a supply glut or something like that. Um, which is interesting now that sort of the noise has passed, we're starting to realize what actually was going on. So when mm. oil fell, it also crashed copper, aluminium, agricultural products and everything. And that further kind of like smashed the BRIC countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, Indonesia, Mexico, stuff like that. Cause they sell a lot of corn. They sell a lot of agricultural products. They sell a lot of commodities. So all those countries were getting kind of fucked up. But U.S. consumers and anybody working in tech was just getting so ridiculously fucking wealthy um, that nobody really gave a shit. And if you held 
any money in the S&P 500 during that period of time, you would just be going way up because of the fucking growth stocks were just like, like pulling everything up along, along with it. And consumers, if you had money, you could buy tons of shit from China. You could buy heaps of stuff, you know, mm. everything was cheap. Um, so this started creating huge amounts of instability though within the States, obviously because there's a lot of oil producers there and they just got so fucked. So there was like a shale, like back in those times, there was back in those times, fuck, ages ago, <laughs> back in the, <laughs> back in 2015, if anybody remembers, um, there was this like decimation of manufacturing and agriculture and oil but a lot of that was just off the back of this rise in interest rates and this uh, strengthening of the dollar so when everybody was like oh we were outsourcing everything to china um this shadow recession theory that i think is pretty convincing argues that effectively what it was was like the united states own monetary policy that just like squeezed agriculture and oil producers and you know anyone basically in the in the fucking rust belt completely out of the game you know and they couldn't compete and emerging markets were getting fucked up as well but they could probably like survive it a little easier than the states so that started to create all the structural weakness within the economy um that really didn't fucking uh, get noticed just because everything was going so swimmingly well and everybody was, you know, had their eyes on Trump, right, during 2016. So they say agricultural machinery production fell by 38%. Um, and the number of petroleum and natural gas structures fell by 60% during that time within the States, you know, mm. which is just fucking insane. Like, I always knew it was bad, you know, because, you know, you always hear, like, oh, Trump's voting base is, uh, got decimated. But I didn't realize it was like 60% of the fucking industry just kind of like collapsed within a couple of years, which you can start to understand why those towns just, you know, are so hateful and so, so pissed off that nobody's listening to them because everybody's yeah. fabulously wealthy and they just got like smashed in this shadow it would recession. Be, it would be interesting as well to see how this... <laughs> correlates yep. to what a lot of people talk about as like the renewable energies boom cycle so like you know since since 2015 and sort of like more so since maybe like 2018 there have been those arguments arising talking about you know like renewables are now more profitable more efficient um more more desirable in any way essentially over fossil fuels but it it may be that the reason being is because of this crash and renewable sort of like it's not so much not so much overtook fossil fuels but fossil fuels just fell back um it's an interesting question it's oil uh i think as musk pointed out is pretty important still for production and manufacturing mm. and it's it's not something that i think um is going to get taken away especially in brick countries you know um but yeah like there there is like definite structural changes happening as well there's a definite shift from like natural gas and petroleum products to renewables and and stuff but i, I don't think it's I, I, who knows as well though right like it could be enough to be like a serious structural change 
Um, but that probably doesn't account for all the smashing of agriculture and other commodities and shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel you. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I am listening. I've just gotten something in my eye. Which no, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. Fucking <laughs> me up. <laughs> yeah. So um, effectively, this whole thing almost caused like a total meltdown is what people are saying. Um, this like, there was enough of a boom within tech and within um, basically like hotels and uh, trucking and stuff like that and office buildings that there is just fractionally more jobs added. And there's this uh, graph that we'll post out to everyone. But when you see the amount of fucking jobs that were lost in these other sectors, it's crazy, man. So it's like hotels, lodging, and other structures grew by 50% between 2014 and 2016. But wow, that's... petroleum and natural gas fell by 60%. And then mining structures fell by 49%. Mining and oil machinery fell by 46%. Agricultural fell by 38%. Construction fell by 17%. Power plants fell by 9%. So like... You know, the renewable story doesn't even feature in that graph at all. Mm. And it's like if you're taking power plants as a whole, the aggregate fell by 9% as opposed to actually rise. So I think like the renewable story is a nice campaign and it's like in the longer run, sure, it probably will be add a lot, but it's definitely not the fucking thing that held everything up over that period of time. I think it was largely mm. like tech, hotels, trucking, communication, shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, apparently we came like really close to collapse during that time, which I'm a little bit like, well, probably would have been good to be honest, because now we're just like fucking dealing with it now. Yeah, if we <laughs> got the collapse over and done with, that'd probably be nice. Yeah, and we could have um, fixed the structural weaknesses, whereas they've just mm. been like propped up. Um, so Janet Yellen, who was the uh, leader of the Federal Reserve, um, effectively had this choice to either like raise interest rates even more and you know um, combat inflation, which is what they're really worried about at the time, or just keep it super super low. Um, and she ultimately decided to, I think, hold on, I, just, I should definitely get this right, so. So yeah, basically, um, the Fed started to raise interest rates, and it started just like fucking decimating everything. Um, so you know, the dollar started strengthening, commodities started dropping. Um, the S and P five hundred dropped nine percent over three weeks in late Jan and early Feb uh, <laughs> back in twenty sixteen, which is like compared to right now, it's so much fucking worse. And they sort of just like immediately withdrew from their like desire to raise interest rates and just kept them super low, you know? Um, mm. And that's the only thing that kind of protected us from having like a major fucking meltdown, which is funny because it's sort of like, that's exactly what's fucking transpiring now, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's also funny because like, because of the way they, they spun the economic statistics during the end of the Obama years, <laughs> they we're pushing this narrative of like, you know, a robust economic situation and um, jobs and growth, etc. Um, yeah. So good spin. Um, so, oh, sorry, were you going to say something? Oh, yeah, basically. Well, I mean, was I going to say something? Nothing really other than like, 
it's interesting that they just kind of pro see when I was reading this article, they were sort of like, we narrowly avoided a recession. And I just kind of see that as like, I'm pretty sure what this actually reads like is that the fed just was like, just going to prop this shit up for another, <laughs> for this like indefinite years, fucking yeah. period. Yeah. And, um, things weren't as good as we were told at the end of the Obama administration, but that's, you know, you don't need me to tell you that. Um, and they certainly have been like artificially inflated for like a long period of time. Yeah. So now where the fuck are we? We're at this point where like there's fuck tons of debt. Um, rising interest rates could kill so many fucking industries and it's even more, uh, unbalanced than it is. There was like a little correction back then, you know, but it's just obviously needs to, to happen. Mm. So speaking of, um, you know, the, uh, market crash last year caused mm. by that little, uh, little virus that was, that was going around. Okay. So the snuffles. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, we tasted <laughs> the sniffles started catching on. Um, I read an article in the ABC last night written by um, a doctor who was the Australian representative on um, who's, uh, sorry, as in the WHO's um, sort of mission to China to investigate the origins of the coronavirus. Hmm. Um, yeah, I forgot about that. And yeah, so before I go into what the article discusses, I thought it would be worth prefacing this with a little bit of context or if we jump in the time machine and look at what the narrative was in sort of April, May, June of 2020, there was this idea that um, China was covering up the origins of the virus and that they were sabotaging uh, any attempt by the WHO or um, other countries to investigate the origins of the virus. Um, there were calls that the Chinese would have to pay reparations to other countries <laughs> for the damage to their economies. Um, yeah, so, so like our... Yeah. our fucking fearless leader aka fatty mcfuckface scott morrison in australia um he declared that he was forming a coalition of countries to uh pressure china into allowing a transparent investigation hmm. um and so all of that anti-china rhetoric eventually fizzled into nothing and then as you can imagine the media hasn't really covered the fact that in the end china did let uh, emission into Wuhan occur and that the Chinese health authorities have been cooperating with the WHO and a team made of international doctors from I think 10 other countries. Yeah. So um, obviously there's not going to be any um, popular popular narrative talking about China's cooperation because that will um, undermine the, the racist uh, finger pointing that makes us all feel better in the West. But what this doctor is talking about that they've having found in China is pretty interesting and also sort of funny. Yeah. So to summarize briefly, essentially they went to China and they found no evidence that the virus began or the first animal to human transmission occurred in the wet market in Wuhan, which is something that most people um, stated as a given fact. Um, there was also no evidence that the first animal to human transmission even occurred in Wuhan. Oh, um, right. And the team is now following up leads that suggest that the virus was in circulation in Europe at the end of 2019. Um, so, right. There's still a really, there's still a 
good chance that this virus did originate in China, but there's no definitive evidence to say that it actually came from Wuhan. Um, so the doctor talked about they visited the wet market um, and they found um, the wet market has been closed since, but they still had um, in labs and stuff like samples from animals from the wet market at the time and all that. Obviously, there were traces of COVID. Um, and the most they could say, though, about the wet market is that like, oh, yeah, we can definitely see how this would have been a, uh, a cluster for transmission. And it's like, no shit, it's a fucking market. Like there were 10,000 people there every day. Like, yeah, plus the nature. You're of saying yeah. you're saying nothing like you're just saying that there was a crowded place in Wuhan where people gave each other the virus. Yeah. And yeah. And basically they're um, they're pursuing the, the theory as well that the, the initial transmission of the virus occurred through um, the shipment of like frozen goods and food, um, which I, I find to be some sort of poetic justice. <laughs> um, in that after all of the flexing and fucking finger wagging uh, towards China and all of the, the frankly pretty disgusting racist commentary, yeah. um, both from like political leaders and from just the general public. Um, talking like I had, I saw people on social media saying things that like that, um, like that the Chinese people are like animals and that their culture is subhuman mm. um, because because they were eating pangolins or whatever the fuck um which is just like matters, absolutely you know like... yeah exactly like it's just a fucking animal like everybody yeah. eats animals everywhere all the time um yeah but yeah so there's um the who's mission to china um consisting of doctors and scientists from multiple western countries have found no conclusive evidence that the pandemic uh, or that the virus began in wuhan now if it was originated in Europe at the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. That'll be fucking interesting, eh? Because, like... It'd be uh, very interesting. I don't know, man. There's so much fucking misinformation flying around still mm. to this day. Mm -hmm. uh, I love the whole, like, oh, look, cases have started coming down in the States. What a mystery. All of a sudden, you know? Like, yeah. uh, what's that about? That, that makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Like, how much of this... I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm skeptical of literally everything that's being put out um that i'm seeing because if it did originate in europe um i wonder how bad it's going to end up being that like it clearly didn't fucking show up on their radars you know no yeah so um but i mean ultimately it does i don't see it mattering where the fuck it originated um which was my whole point to begin with and like there's no substantiation or significance of blaming china it's mm. a fucking virus it's an act of God, you know? Nobody is responsible for COVID. Yep. It just happened. It doesn't matter at all. It could have come from my fucking bedroom and I wouldn't be guilty, you know? Mm. Um, there's no no foresight that can protect us from this. Like, we yep. were due for a fucking catastrophe and it happened. Yeah, there was um, structural weakness, like the shadow recession. Uh, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and yeah, that's that's a really good point, to be honest. Um, and and how... <laughs> The impact and fallout won't be known for a few years, but I look forward to reading, you know, um, down the line when all this fucking noise and bullshit filters mm, exactly. out. Exactly. The, like, the definitive, definitive analysis from, like, some sort of genius objective source. Yeah. Um, Captain Hindsight. If that even exists anymore. 
Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. What we fucking needed to know. What we did wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's wrap it up for the day. I have a guy coming around to my house to look for termites soon. So I don't think he's going to find any. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they probably came from Wuhan, man. There's probably a Chinese, Chinese tenant in this house before me who fucking carried them in here. They heard you ragging um, on their fucking uh, yeah. slave camps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So tomorrow we're going to be uh, recording our, our, our bonus podcast episode on... Um, UNFI or United Natural Foods Incorporated, uh, mm. which you can get the hookup on through our Spotify. Shout out to our new subscribers, by the way. Really appreciate you guys jumping on board. And um, we think we've done a pretty good job of um, covering this stock for you. Um, we might even... Yeah, actually, quite... no, we won't. I was just about to say we might even include... Um, a brief touching on a second one at the end because we probably won't need the full hour yeah, to talk I, about I your actually, NFI. But... Now that we have enough time, that sounds good. But um, Okay, well, let's do it then. Yeah, so Fisker and Unfeet. Yeah, so yeah, we'll do Fisker as well. Um, Fisker won't take us too long, so and we'll be able to do two in one. Um, maybe even some more I would, berry fud or whatever. Depending. I would say double the value, but maybe 1.5 times the value for your money. Um <sighs> Yeah. Yeah. All right. If you want to follow us on social media, get us on Instagram at Modern Guilt Pod, Twitter at Guilt underscore Modern. I've stopped saying the Gmail because, like, no one emailed us. Everybody just hits us up on social media. But whatever, you can email us as well at modernguiltpod at gmail.com. And that's all from us for today. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace out.